Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Smoke and Shadow. I am your host, Victoria Sadowski. And oh boy, are you guys in for it today, because I went nuts. This episode's gonna be nuts. There's a lot of information, uh, but I hope you're excited because this episode is about the history of scrying or mirror gazing or hydromancy or whatever you want to call it. And instead of narrowing my research down to one culture, I went global. I'm sorry. I, I went global. This is really broad. I did a pretty good job considering, but it's it's completely impossible for me to cover every single culture because we still don't know a lot about certain cultures that still practice this. We don't know about their history, mainly because we just don't have enough archaeological evidence. But even with the stuff that we do know about and we have evidence about, we're not going to be able to cover any of that in one episode. We're not going to be able to cover any of that in two episodes. So I did the best that I could, and I think I did a pretty decent job but again I also haven't looked at this outline in 24 hours and last time I looked at it it was three in the morning I was tired of shit I don't I don't know I have no recollection of what I wrote down and I know I'm gonna question the shit out of myself with everything I'm reading but I did it and that's all that's important at the end of the day but before we get into that we've got to talk about following me on social media guys come on do it like please <laughs> But seriously, please do follow me on social media. It helps me to interact with you guys as well as to get a sense of what you want to hear about. And if you have any suggestions for topics as well as any sources that you may want me to include in future episodes, you can send that stuff to smokeandshadow at gmail.com. And again, these links as well as the link to my Patreon are in the show notes. And if you choose to donate, thank you so much. And with that, let's get into it. So first, we need to talk about scrying and what it is, because some of you probably have no idea what it is. Uh, scrying is the act of seeing into other worlds or seeing into the universe through a reflective surface. Other names are psychomantium, staring into a dark reflective surface in a dim enclosed space to use more for necromancy. Lacanomancy, used to see or find things within the void through gazing into dishes of water and siphomancy, scrying into a cup or a goblet filled with water, but also refers to an auditory practice where a fortune teller taps the goblet and hears whispers in the rings that it makes. But of course, for this episode, we're just going to focus on the concept of reflective scrying, which today in the modern era is one of the more popular forms of divination and is just all over the place. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, especially in the Americas, and we'll get to that, but it's everywhere. And before we dive into the Americas, I just want to sort of quote a passage in a thesis that I found uh, where they quoted an old historian, and it says, Reliquary and other religious literature motifs involving mirrors gathered by Stith Thompson— 1958 Index, Volume 509, shows widespread provenance from Japan to Siberia to Iceland. So mirror divination, again, was literally everywhere. The divining tactic of scrying or mirror gazing or reflective gazing is possibly the oldest, if not one of the oldest, divination forms that can be applied globally and is possibly as old as the concept of dragons. 
And I say possibly because archaeology and recent findings keep pushing these dates back. So the dates I'm going to be giving you within the next 30 years alone will probably be pushed even further back based on what we will be finding in that amount of time. So these dates have been pushed back since the past 40 years. We keep finding more things that suggest this timeline is more intricate and more expansive than we've realized. So these dates are temporary. Just keep that in mind. These dates are probably temporary and this history is probably way longer than we know right now. And just to keep you guys in the loop, the way I organized this was based on date primarily from oldest to most recent. However, because of how I did that, the most extensive research on certain cultures is going to be categorized first because the more we know about a certain culture, the further back the history goes. So I'm starting with the oldest, but also the first heavy hitters you're going to be hearing about are the most extensive by far. And as I stated before, it's just not humanly possible for me to cover this entire history because it is wildly expansive. Speaking of things that are wildly expansive, we're going to start talking about the Mesoamerican obsidian mirror trade. And this also leads me to my first disclaimer. The Mesoamerican cultural timeline is vast and extremely complex and overlaps with different cultures that are rising and falling at certain times and they overlap, intermingle. And if you're paying attention to recent current events, indigenous peoples of Central and South America are sort of arguing against borders right now because they have migratory patterns throughout certain seasons that they're no longer able to do. So I just need you to keep in mind during these timeframes I'm going to be spitting at you. These people were moving around like crazy and they didn't have the same migratory patterns that Indo-Europeans had. Indo-Europeans had massive waves that in Mesoamerica it was just, there were definitely certain heights to migrations, but there were always reoccurring seasonal migrations that happened throughout all of what is now Mexico and what is, you know, now Arizona, all the way down to Peru, Colombia. That whole area was traveled for thousands of years. So keep in mind, a lot of these cultures are interwoven. And the main reason why we know that is thanks to archaeological discoveries of obsidian. So the first black mirrors were made in 8000 BCE, predating Almic civilization, and were made, of course, from obsidian. There are also other mirrors that date back to the second millennium BCE, which are made out of things like iron pyrite or iron ore. But also in that time, obsidian mirrors were still being produced, although it's suggested that iron ore was more obtainable. And so a lot of historians suggest that mirrors made from iron ore were used primarily for more mundane things, such as vanity, whereas obsidian mirrors were used for divination and spiritual work. Now we're going to talk about the Olmecs from 1600 to 1500 BCE specifically. The scrying practices performed by the much older Olmecs were considered to be handed down from the mythical Tamaokan people of the Archaic Era. The Olmecs used concave mirror bowls to hold fire for scrying, so this could be seen as both a reflective scrying and pyromancy at the same time. These guys were doing it all. 
The mass obsidian stone and mirror manufacturing trade in Mesoamerica began around 1500 to 1000 BCE, and then again around 400 to 1400 CE. And of course, in between these time frames and before, obsidian was obviously being manufactured, but these two periods are considered a sort of mass production of obsidian tools. And when I say mass production, I mean mass production. These guys were exporting all over Central Southern America, as well as Europeans who were starting to come over in that 400 to 1400 sort of increase in production. They were buying it before, you know, they started taking everything. And because obsidian wasn't as necessary to European cultures, it was primarily used again for spiritual purposes, not necessarily mundane things. And within that 1500 to 1000 BCE era where production kicked up the first time, this era sort of meant that obsidian was no longer a stone that symbolized hierarchy. It could be bought and sold among lower classes of the Mayan culture, which increased trade to cultures like Zapotec and later Incan around lower coastal regions in Central and Southern America. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the Mayans, specifically the Yucatan Mayans from 600 to 1500 CE. The widespread distribution of obsidian implements from sources in the Mexican and Guatemalan highlands has attracted archaeological attention in the past several decades, as I mentioned before. Thanks to that, we're able to now know more about the economic and political roles of obsidian. And because of this archaeological evidence, we're also able to compare and contrast the difference in obsidian's cultural relevance from its volcanic highland origins to the lower widespread coastal regions. Therefore, we're able to know a lot more about this particular time frame and how obsidian was used. Around 250 to 900 AD, during the early classic period of Mayan civilization, iron pyrite was still the main mineral of choice for making mirrors. So similar to what I mentioned about the early Olmecs is, you know, there's iron pyrite, which was used for more mundane things, and then there's obsidian, which was probably used for more spiritual practices. Although there's probably exceptions to these rules and there's a lot of crossover and if you didn't have an obsidian mirror you scryed with an iron ore mirror. It, it depends but from archaeological evidence this suggests it was obsidian mirrors that were favored when concerning spiritual matters. And this is something that I found that I don't really get but I found it and I'm gonna tell you. During the classic period, mirrors were placed inside bowls to symbolically represent bowls of water instead of just filling a bowl with water. I'm not sure. I didn't dive too deep in this specific fact, but I found this. And uh, examples of this were found all throughout the Maya area. Mirrors also had a spiritual significance to Mesoamericans when it came to eyes. The Zotzil Maya phrase, Nenset, translates to mirror of the face or mirror of the eyes or pupil. And this greatly correlates to the concept of eyes being windows to the soul. So it's kind of like that, but a little bit more about like the reflective aspect of eyes. The association between mirrors and eyes is thought to have been derived from the reflective eyes of the jaguar, a sort of animal of the divine for many different cultures in Mesoamerica, especially the Olmecs.
All right, and now we're going to talk about the Aztecs in the 5th century CE. And more specifically, what we're going to be talking about is the folklore of the divinities versus the ancestors. And this sort of gives a cultural understanding of why mirrors and seeing beyond is important. One of the many paradisiacal origin stories of the Aztecs says that in the beginning, heaven and earth were a lot closer together than they are now. Divinity and humans were considered more on the same level, and beings that dwelled on Earth could speak to animals and do a variety of other supernatural things. One of those things being the ability to see deeply into the world and the universe. However, one day the divine grew envious of the ancestors and created a separation between them. This separation was seen as an illusion cast upon the ancestors, similar to that of a fog on a mirror. When humans are then created, they too inherit this curse. Meanwhile, the divine can see through literally anything. So, black mirrors, in a sense, in the concept of being able to see into the void, is a technique that was developed based on this idea that the divine was keeping us in an illusion where we couldn't see too far, and the mirrors help us see further. And this is a theme you're going to keep seeing all around the world. Granted, a lot of reflection divination varies depending on culture and how it's used and what it's used for. But there's always this underlying notion of seeing beyond or seeing farther in order to gain certain knowledge. And for the Aztecs, it was knowledge that was deprived of us because of the jealousy that the divinity had for the ancestors. And to go back to that period from 400 to 1400 CE, where there was a second mass wave of obsidian production. And during that time, because Europe, colonialization of the Americas was at its very beginnings. And one place where colonials went was Central America. And we know that Europeans took part in this trade at least in the very beginning, because of certain people of aristocracy, were having these obsidian mirrors shipped out to England. And if you're asking, why? Because they wanted to use them for political reasons. One example being John Dee, the advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, had mirrors sent to him because he was going to use them to divine on behalf of her. So a lot of what he would do as her advisor was use astrology, divinatory techniques to get Protestant England ahead of the game. And to sort of rewind a little bit, I just want to talk about, again, those migration patterns that I mentioned earlier where uh, people from Central America would travel north uh, to what is now, you know, Arizona around that area, as well as further east even. And I do want to mention two tribes, specifically the Apache and the Pawnee. So first, we're going to talk about the Apache's use of obsidian, as well as their own sort of scrying techniques. So first, I want to talk about the Apache tears, which are rocks that are a dark volcanic rock that's slightly more translucent than obsidian, sort of like a smoky quartz, but much darker and a lot more related to obsidian. Apache tears were sort of these stones that you carried on your person, to ward away sadness or grief. So they were used in a completely different way than obsidian was being used down further south, but they also did have their own sort of scrying techniques where 
Apache shamans or healers would prescribe the sickly to gaze into the water where they would see things that would aid them in their sickness. So again, that narrative of looking into the void to seek something to help or to seek knowledge. That's something that is consistent, not just in the Americas, and we'll get into other cultures soon, but it's just so interesting how consistent a lot of these narratives are throughout all these different cultures, through all these different time periods. And now I just want to talk a little bit about the Pawnee tribe. And full disclosure, the source that I found this information on, I don't trust. I'm just going to be upfront with you. So if this is a truth and you know it, uh, please send me links to actual like valid sources of this information because it's something I stumbled upon. I thought it was interesting and relevant, but again, I didn't trust the source, so and I'm not noting it in my sources at the end. Uh, so if you have better sources of this or a more accurate explanation for these things, please send it my way. Anyway, something that the Pawnee tribe is said to have done is when someone dies, they kill a badger and pour the blood into a bowl, and that bowl will sit by a deceased person's head and on the third day of that bowl being out, a family member of the deceased, typically children, will stare into the bowl and see their life expectancy. So, interesting. Again, seeking knowledge, hydromancy, but this is more, you know, blood hydromancy. <laughs> and again, I'm not entirely sure how accurate this information is, but I still thought it was very interesting and very relevant, so I put it in. And now we're going to travel a little further east, and by a little, I mean a lot, um, and visit our favorite corner of the Mediterranean and talk a little bit about ancient Egypt and the Assyrian Empire. And the reason why I'm grouping the two is because the Assyrian Empire sort of took a lot of stuff from Egypt and made it more sophisticated over time. But in terms of scrying and hydromancy in that sort of realm of divination... This is the same area in the same history, just split into two different empires. But they feed off each other a lot, back and forth, so keep that in mind. And to give you some dates, again, mainly concerning the history of divination, not necessarily the history of the empire. So for Egypt, it's 4000 to 1000 BCE, and for Assyria, it's 1000 to 600 BCE. And that's sort of the timeline of divination tactics specifically around hydromancy. The Egyptians used oil, ink, as well as water when divining, and I believe there's still some speculation by historians of whether these tactics in divination came from the pre-dynastic era. When performing any sort of divination, the diviner was to be thoroughly blessed and divine before devotional art typically surrounding the goddess Heka who was a goddess of divination, what we now call witchcraft, and the occult of ancient Egypt. And I have to point out that currently the earliest evidence of divination in Egypt appears in the Hermology text from the Middle Kingdom around 2040 BCE. And the reason why I bring this up is because it's believed hydromancy was being practiced since 4000 BCE, but, you know, finding a plate that has some oil on it doesn't necessarily mean that that was specifically used for divination. So there's records of the types of divination that they had later on. And 
supposed archaeological evidence that suggests this sort of divination tactic was being used thousands of years back, but because they're not entirely sure, they're not going to definitively say, yes, this form of hydromancy is as old as 4000 BCE, because they're not entirely sure. But based on certain findings and texts and how prevalent this sort of tactic was, they're assuming that it's as old as 4000 BCE, but again, it's only definitively proven to be as old as 2000 BCE. And another reason why they say it's older is because they find evidence of it in other areas throughout Mesopotamia during those times. So they think it might not have even originated from Egypt, they think it might have been originally Mesopotamian in nature. Also, reflective divination is briefly mentioned in chapter 44 of the book of Genesis, where... A silver chalice that was planted on Benjamin actually belonged to Joseph, the visor of Egypt, whose steward claimed it was used for drinking as well as divination. In ancient Assyria, water gazing was used as a sort of pursuit of foresight similar to other cultures, but this one in particular was to secure the imperialist agenda in the future of Assyrian politics. Being able to see into the future was viewed as both a political and spiritual practice, and therefore divining was institutionalized in Assyria. There was also the concept and practice of forestalling by apotropaic magic, meaning to thwart or obstruct bad things from happening to the state or empire. And we're moving right along to Babylonian lacanomancy from 600 to 500 BCE, where they used a dish with water to divine. Very basic, very standard. They didn't get fancy with it. They didn't do ink. Maybe they did. I don't know. I just saw that they talked about water. The earliest form of lacanomancy appears to have come from ancient Babylonia, though it's only mentioned in one text. That text, I didn't write down apparently what it was. Sorry. In Babylonia, there are two types of lacanomancy. One where a priest sees the patterns oil makes when it's put into the water, and the other being where a priest meditates on the ripples that are forming in the water. And in Persian lacanomancy from 600 to 300 BCE, the cup used by diviners is supposedly called the Cup of Jamshid. And the reason why I say supposedly is because we only know that it's referred to this by Iranian philosophers and polymaths of the 10th century CE. We don't actually know what the Persians were calling it at the time, probably something else but to philosophers in Iran it's referred to as the cup of Jamshid. This cup was used by ancient rulers of Persia to see into the seven layers of the universe. Uh, whether it's used by the rulers or the diviners of the rulers specifically I, I don't know it just said the rulers of Persia. Historians who study what I believe is pronounced as the Shahnameh which are Persian epics considered as the Book of Kings written in the 9th century CE often see correlations between the jam and or cup to that of the crystal ball. So it's used very similarly, and a lot of you might say, yeah, a lot of these are used like crystal balls. It's the same concept. But I guess the cultural attitude towards uh, the jamshid in the 9th century correlates to how Europeans in, say, the 14 to 1700s viewed the crystal ball concept. It was kind of similarly viewed. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the Islamic influence in India around 630 to 1100 CE. 
The Indian Mohammedans introduced unjun, or black lamp, to India, and it was considered to be a sort of magic mirror divination tactic. This sort of form of mirror gazing or hydromancy where the yogi, or what I believe is pronounced as sonekasis, I'm probably wrong about that, but Google refused to help me this time, so it's not on me, use a child or adult as a speculum. They will fill the third party's palm with water and tell them to stare into it and tell what they see under the spiritual influence of the yogi. Due to proximity of Muslim and Hindu cultures, Unjun now has a wide array of forms that it comes in. There are technically five forms of Unjun where each form has a different purpose. They also range in technique. Some yogis use brass plates filled with water. Some younger diviners will bathe and redress in clean clothes before gazing into flames. Others will paste an incantation or spell onto the back of a looking glass and have children gaze through it. For some reason in this culture, they really liked involving children. So maybe it's because they were innocent and open-minded. Who knows? I don't. Alright, and now we're going to move back further west towards Gaul, and we're going to be talking about Gallic hydromancy from 1000 to 30 BCE. And we need to reference the Druids because those were the people that we believe were scrying. And I say believe because we don't know a lot about the Druids, and a lot of what we do know comes from Roman propaganda. Though it's said that from what is now Germany all the way to Ireland, that the Druids would scry through both the sky and water. Typically, they would choose ponds and lakes to do scrying in water because seawater was too turbulent. But also they preferred the darkness of the pond, similar to how the Aztecs preferred the darkness of obsidian to scry. Again, similar to what I mentioned about uh, my sources for the Apache and Pawnee tribes, my sources for this in particular were scant as well as not something that I trust. So I found a lot of stuff that the Druids did that historians are like, we don't know that. It's just modern Druids kind of putting their own spin on things based on handed down legends through word of mouth. Although some Roman accounts do say the Druids viewed springs and lakes as sanctuaries and practiced a wide array of ritualistic divination skills. And now we're traveling further back east to Tibet, where we're going to be talking about uh, Tibetan brass medallion meditation from 600 CE to present. Ta, or mirror divination, is one of many different divination forms within Tibetan Buddhism and is still practiced today. Buddhist monks in Tibet use the backside of brass tonka engraved medallions to meditate or see into the universe. This practice in particular is unique to Buddhism in Tibet, and historians suggest that it may be a practice that's handed down from pre-Buddhist Bon natives prior to the 7th century CE. And before I dive into uh, Chinese scrying, I just want to put up a little disclaimer. Tibetan scrying is heavily embedded in the Buddhist practice, whereas in China, scrying and the Buddhist tradition are kind of separated. And I'll dive into a little bit of why, but in the general, like, why this is, I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm starting to see, based on what I researched, a bits and pieces of why that might be. It seems to be more of a feminine thing. 
But if it is practiced in Chinese Buddhism, it's not heavily practiced the way it is in Tibet. And it's practiced very differently. So with that, now we're going to move on to Chinese paper and water gazing. And I couldn't really find dates for this. Uh, literally couldn't. I could not find a single freaking number. So bear with me. The practice that I believe is pronounced Yuang Kuang Fujo, which translates to magic of the round glittering, and is the Chinese art of paper, stone, water, bowl, or mirror gazing, used mainly to locate missing items or to catch thieves, which I believe is a term coined when they were using mainly stones, but now it's applied to the wide array of gazing techniques that they have. Similar to Unjun, it can be used with a third party where a magician or shaman entrances someone who is gazing for them. It's also suggested even though men did partake in the practice, it was practiced much more by women. So when I meant that this is a more feminine practice, I meant that it's just more typical for women to be engaging in this practice, whereas it's more typical for a man to become a Buddhist monk. So while men were up at the temples meditating, women were getting up to this shit. Which, gotta love it. Alright, now we're traveling further back west and a little bit south to Africa, where a variety, a wide variety of divination practices were used throughout places like Botswana to Uganda to the Congo. The use of mirrors for religious purposes along the equatorial west coast has been long remarked, particularly among the Loango and the Bavil peoples. And the diviners of the Yoruba who are referred to as the Babalawo, would use mirror divination to prevent illness or forestall bad luck. And I know that none of that had any dates. I'm sorry, I really tried. I mainly try to organize these based on dates, but when they don't have them, they don't have them. I mean, they do. It's just not on Google, but what can you do? But now we're flying super, super, super west, east, east-west, depends on where you are in the world. We're going to talk about the Polynesian tribes from 900 to 1200 CE. And first we're going to talk about the Maori tribe, which are the Polynesian settlers of what is now New Zealand in around the 12th century CE. The Maori have certain terms like tohu, which means divination, or titiro, which means to observe, and to look into water as a form of gaining knowledge or to observe the world was definitely something that was practiced from the Maori to the Samoa, Futuna, Viti, and the Hawaiian. Although there's not real any evidence of them using tools to do this or any specific way, but the concept of gazing into water as a divination practice was definitely something that was universal to the Polynesian settlers. And I do briefly have to mention, oh yeah, we're, we're traveling back west. We're traveling back west, east, I don't know where we are anymore, but we have to talk about the Latter-day Saint movement. Uh, in the 1820s, Joseph Smith founded the Latter-day Saint movement due to what he said he saw within a seer stone. He used this method of gazing into the stones to locate treasure, and he even had spectacles composed of seer stone for the lens, which he called Urim and Thummim. With them, he said that he was able to translate the golden plates, the supposed origins of the Book of Mormon. And staying in the same region, uh, I want to mention the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, where 
it's this sort of group of people or order that revamped ancient scrying in a more ancient-based, somewhat polytheistic lens rather than the monotheistic lens that it had been used throughout Europe up until this point. And thanks to this order, it became such a mainstream tool that currently in modern witchcraft and occult culture, it's one of the most popular divination tactics globally. It sits right up there next to tarot. And you know, it's going to be cool when Aleister Crowley says it's cool. That's kind of how the name of the game went for a little while. So yeah, isn't that nuts how so many different cultures did this all throughout history consistently? And again, I just scratched the surface, guys. I barely dug in deep to the whole history of scrying. There is probably some cultures we still don't even know did this. That's how expansive it is. Because when you have the Aztecs, the Egyptians and Assyrians, the Chinese, the Polynesians all doing this, granted some of those I just mentioned did it later on, but a lot of those, the Aztecs and the Mesopotamian cultures specifically, they were doing it at the same time for thousands of years. And that's just mind-boggling that two cultures, several land masses and an ocean away from each other, were doing very similar spiritual things. Like the only thing that I can think of that's similarly universal and consistent as this is just the concept of gods in general. Well, there's also dragons. Dragons are a pretty consistent mystical concept. What else? Praying? I group that in with the gods. That's, that goes with the gods. You only pray to the gods. Those three things are the only things I can think of that are, like, super consistent globally in a spiritual sense. I mean, you could argue cartomancy or, you know, tarot, but I don't know. From what I've learned, tarot seems to have originated from Mesopotamia, strictly. Like, there were so many countries that had the concept of cards and playing cards, but they didn't use it for fortune-telling the same way that the Egyptians did. So, I don't know. I think there's a lot more evidence that scrying is way more consistent in human culture. And remember what I said about them pushing the date back. The more stuff they're going to find, they keep pushing that date back. Similar, again, to concepts like gods or dragons that you keep finding them in every culture. And the farther you go back in terms of archaeology, you find those things represented in some way or referenced in some way so i think scrying that date's going to keep going back and by back i mean end of the ice age back well maybe not that far back but who knows who knows there's a lot of stuff that's trapped in ice right now that hasn't been discovered yet and ice keeps melting because we suck so we're gonna keep finding stuff because i don't see us getting our shit together anytime soon <laughs> And there's a lot of stuff that's trapped in dirt right now that we still haven't discovered because we just haven't dug too deep. Oh my god, I saw this thing on YouTube where I guess we've, in the past decade or so, have discovered an ancient civilization 
and structure that was built that predates the wheel by 6,000 years and historians are pissed. They're like, we don't know anything anymore. Because this discovery completely altered our understanding of human history. There's a certain linear function to how we evolve that was just torn out from underneath us with that discovery because they don't know how they made this structure. They don't think they had the population to make it. They don't think they had the knowledge to make this structure. And now they have to rethink everything. And some historians are saying that we have evolved to the peak that we are now several times over. And we just have lost it all so completely that we don't know. We don't know that we're relearning everything. And then, of course, there are the historians that are like, not to the peak that we are now. No. If there was an abandoned utopia like New York, we would have discovered it by now. <laughs> but now there is this sort of mysteriousness surrounding how far we have evolved in the past and in what kind of way. Because culture varies and human thought, we don't understand the brain. We don't understand evolution as well as we thought we did. So who knows? Who knows what kind of civilizations existed and what types of people were living in them and what exactly they were doing. I think they were scrying. And with that, that is all I have for you today. So thank you so much for listening. And now I'm going to rattle off some sources. Foresight in Ancient Mesopotamia a Darwin College of Cambridge University lecture by Francesca Rochberg, Aztec Mirrors, a video by the Harvard X Online Education Initiative, Economic Growth in Mesopotamia, Obsidian Consumption in the Coastal Lowlands, a collective scholarly journal of anthropological archaeology, The Study of Tibetan Divination by Alexander Kingsbury Smith, Crystal Gazing, Its History and Practice by Andrew Lang. Ink, Oil, and Mirror Gazing Ceremonies by William H. Worrell. Women and Divination in Traditional China, a 1992 paper by Richard J. Smith for the Conference of Engendering China, Women, Culture, and the State by Harvard University. Divination and Interpretation of Signs in the Ancient World, a collective thesis edited by Amar Anas on behalf of University of Chicago. And finally, Reflections on Looking into Mirrors by James W. Fernandez. And if you're still here, please follow me on Instagram. And if you have any sources that you think I should have mentioned, send them to smokeandshadowpodcast at gmail.com. And if you donate to my Patreon, thank you so much. And with that, I will see you on the next one.